I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's sponsor is Blue Land Cleaning. Blue Land is an eco-friendly cleaning products company on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic packaging. They offer their products as a set of reusable bottles, along with cleaning tablets that you simply add to warm water to make a full bottle of hand soap or cleaning solution. Also founded by a mom with a three-year-old son. My kids loved making all these products with me. And now we have these amazing glass bottles and all different color hues uh, that make cleaning a little bit more fun, especially during quarantine. I had the privilege of interviewing Esther Saffron for during the quarantine. She is the author of the beautiful memoir called I Want You to Know We're Still Here, a post-Holocaust memoir, which is all about her family and her attempt to record so much that she found. Esther was the CEO of Sixth and I, a center for arts ideas, and religion. She currently lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Bert. They are the parents of Franklin, Jonathan, and Joshua, and the grandparents of six. You might recognize her son's names, Jonathan Saffronfor and Joshua Saffronfor, who are both accomplished, amazing authors in their own right. And she is the mom of all three of those boys and wrote this beautiful book. And we had such a nice chat during quarantine. And I hope you, I hope you enjoy it and get as much out of it as I did. Welcome, Esther. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to talk to you because I feel like, and maybe this is wrong, but having read your memoir, I feel like now I know you. So now I <laughs> now I can like dig deeper on some of the things that you talked about that I'm I'm even more okay. interested in knowing. <laughs> great, great. So your book is called I Want You to Know We're Still Here, a post-Holocaust mm-hmm. memoir. Right. Which I also thought was sort of an interesting title because it's so much told from your point of view now, and I know it's about what happened in the past. But tell listeners what your memoir is about and what inspired you to write it. Well, I was really inspired. Well, I was inspired to deal with my past, to, to come to terms with my family's history for myself but also to preserve, to preserve their names, which don't exist anywhere, these people who were killed, to bring at least their names, to record their, their lives, the fact that they lived. But I also did it very much for my family. I am blessed with a wonderful life and have about three sons, six grandchildren. And I knew that if I didn't record these stories, they would be lost. I want my children and my grandchildren and their grandchildren to know where they came from. I hope they will lead amazing lives, but they should know their they should know what the past of their family was like. And it's part of a bigger story too. It's not just your family, but it's really all families need to know this and not forget. And I think that's what mm-hmm. makes this so unique. I mean, it's almost like you're writing a like a registrar of lost souls. And this is your ode to them. And it's just, it's so important to do and really amazing. And I want to also, the the title, I want you to know we're still here, I hope reflects the pulse of life, that we are a family that suffered the unbearable, the unthinkable in our past, but we're alive today, we're thriving, new generations are born, and they'll remember In your book, you mentioned that on the outside, people might see you as this warm, smiling woman, but looking at you, they wouldn't know that you have this dark past that you continually wrestle with. Can you talk more about that? I I was born with this 
this history of this dark past, of this Holocaust past, but somehow I was also blessed with an optimistic personality. And somehow I've managed to mingle those two. It's, I think the optimism, the resilience, the strength is something in my DNA that came from my mother, who was the ultimate survivor. I would be in a happy, in one of the happiest moments holding a grandchild, just overjoyed. And then suddenly I would think, oh my God, if we were in the ghetto and he was screaming, what would happen? So I'll have these flashbacks, but I'll come right back to the happiness of the moment. Wow. I mean, your mother's story is unbelievable. The way she and a girlfriend walked from basically New York to California, the distance. I mean, with with one and a half pairs of shoes, that's just, un, it's just unbelievable the amount of strength and resilience. And hers is just one of a zillion stories you hear like this. It's it's almost hard, it's hard to believe as we're all, you know, in quarantine now, you know, upset that we can't go to a restaurant, you know? <laughs> well, it, it, it has so resonated for me right now because I remember, and my mother, by the way, was an optimistic, happy person. And I think that's what helped her survive. She was always looking ahead. She wasn't saying, oh, my God, this is the worst thing and I'll never make it. She was always imagining that she would make it. And she had a cabinet in her kitchen that was stocked with so much sugar and flour and canned vegetables that she could survive any catastrophe. And and that's who she was. She was ready to survive always ready to survive. As a little girl, I remember sitting with her in the grass outside of our apartment and searching for four-leaf clovers. And I thought, wow, that's really odd. And, you know, that's what we were doing. And she would always tell me that she survived because of luck and intuition. But I don't think it's just luck. She was looking for luck. She wasn't waiting for it. She was always looking for it. And somehow she managed to go forward with that. Wow. I mean, that's something that you just can't teach, don't you think? I mean, I feel like that's something that's just a part of someone's personality, that perseverance and that optimism. What do you think? I mean, you- I, I totally believe that. I look at my six grandchildren who are still all quite young, and one of them looks like her. And from the moment she was, you know, a year or two old, we understood that she was really savvy and that she was a survivor. And it was kind of, I mean, it's not really a joke, but we'd say, oh, there's another Holocaust, she'll, she'll make it. <laughs> and I, that's a weird thing to say about a child, but we meant it in the best and most positive way. Wow. I mean, I think about your story and the stories of so many. I've been thinking a lot about the Holocaust and not to sound overly dramatic about the current pandemic, but, you know, with everybody inside, I think about how challenging this is on so many levels and the fact that yeah. we're just here to protect ourselves, but we're not hiding, right? We're not also telling our kids that they can't speak or will be discovered or, I mean, I just can't imagine now what it would be like to be not only quarantined, but not be able to move or speak or all of that. Oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, I I think about it a lot, but. I think about that too. I think, you know, here I am complaining because I'm living in my, in isolation, you know, big house with, you know, a garden. And, and what am I complaining about? There were people who were hidden underground and couldn't even see sunlight and couldn't, as you say, move or breathe, or could certainly couldn't say a word until it got dark and they could come out from hiding. So we are pretty blessed. And I think that's important to remember. Yeah. Well, it's nice to 
when I read your book, I was like, well, she's going to understand why I'm thinking about the Holocaust all the time these days, even though it sounds, you know, too dramatic. Anyway. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. And we have to think about, you know, the, the life of the, not just the, what happened, but where we are today. And, and I hope that comes through in the book that the optimism, the forward looking, that we're still here. Yeah. And we have to live our life remembering, but looking forward. There was one passage in particular that really stayed with me when your mother gets back to her old village after her amazing journey and finds out everything is is gone and a neighbor offers her dinner, which includes some pork. And she says no to the meat. And when a friend says, but it, it might've saved her, somebody says to her, you know, but that, that meat might've saved your life. And she said, but if you don't believe in anything, then what is worth saving anyway? I probably, right. I got the quote wrong, I think, but that's the point. And it was No, you you've got it right. You've got it right. And whether it's I mean, she happened to believe in that. Whatever it is you believe in, how important it is to believe in something to make life worthwhile. And I think some of the issues your book raises, which a lot of people are wrestling with now, is like what is the meaning of it all? Like is it now so much is it about our families it seems like that's so important right now is who you're with and your closest loved ones and like what is the point of it all when everything else is taken away so I feel like there's so many parallels exactly I have to ask also you mentioned before you have three sons and six grandchildren but you don't just have three sons and as you talk about in your book two of your sons are unbelievable writers and off, uh, your son Frank as well but Jonathan Saffron for who's written Everything is Illuminated, which has become a film, and that the film ended up mixing facts and memory and creating more facts, even though it was fiction. And Joshua, who wrote Moonlighting with Einstein, which I also had read. How did you, how did you raise such writers? Do you have any tricks? Like, you're obviously a beautiful writer, as your book exhibits, clearly. Did it just come naturally? Is that, Are all your sons just interested in writing and reading, or is it something you actively fostered? The answer is no. (laughs) The answer is, I get that question a lot. We weren't raising writers. And I won't tell you which, but one of them was a very late reader. (laughs) And I think, I hope that what we raise for kids who care about the world and that writing is their vehicle, because they each write in different areas. They don't just all write. Frank is a historian. He works for The Atlantic. He's written about politics and history. Jonathan is mostly a novelist, but he's also of late been writing about being a vegetarian, about how we can save the world by eating less meat. And Josh, of course, is, has written about science and memory. We never particularly encouraged writing. We did encourage conversations at our dinner table, and they could be anything. The kids could pick anything they wanted to talk about but they were prepared to talk about it. And some of them were pretty uncomfortable conversations for a mother, but we let them happen. And so I don't think we raised writers. I mean, we raised kids who watch TV and ate junk food, and I hope that's encouraging (laughs) to everybody. That makes Uh, me feel so much better. Thank you. (laughs) I was a working mother. You know, you came home and you put together whatever you could put together. But I hope we raised them to care about what matters. And the writing kind of came later. It's interesting because in your book, you talk so much about memory and history and fact and fiction. And then 
your sons are now writing about some of the same things. It's like you've transmitted down the things that are so on your mind to them. And everybody just keeps sort of hacking away and exploring this like secret in your your house. And I love the visual in your book about how you keep baggies of pieces of memory from everywhere you go and you have jars and everything of of history around you and this quest for more information. Were you always like that? Like from a young age, have you always just been interested in finding out more about your past? And Yes, I think so. Maybe because so much, so much of it was unknown. Maybe because I grew up with no grandmothers, mm-hmm. with no aunts and uncles, no first cousins. And, you know, people around me that I went to school with had all of those things. So I, I was always digging. And maybe it was because my parents wouldn't talk about it. You always want to know what they won't tell you. So I, and I was always digging and I'm still digging and my, my memory jars as they are, which look a little like an art installation in my living room, you know, include jars that have dirt from mass graves, but also from beautiful times. And my seven-year-old grandson brought me back his, a baggie of dirt from a, a, no, sand from a trip to Greece because I don't have that. And he wanted to share his memory with me. So a lot of them are really beautiful, happy memories. I have, when one of our sons got married, I decorated a plate, you know, the tradition of breaking a plate. The two mothers break a plate and it's kind of, it's a commitment, family commitment to the, uh, to the couple, to the, the marriage. And after we broke the plate, I thought, oh, that'll be perfect in a jar. And it's, it's a beautiful memory every time I look at it. Oh, it's amazing. And have you always liked writing yourself? Like, did you always think no. you were going to write this book or was this, did this come no, as a surprise? Absolutely not. I, I never thought of myself as a writer. In fact, I used to have my husband edit everything to make sure it was okay. The book didn't come out of a love of writing. It came out of a feeling that I needed to tell the story. A number of years ago, I don't know, five, six years ago, our house was broken into. And I had heirlooms that had been handed down to me. I had a great aunt who was like my grandmother. She gave me some of her jewelry. And when the police came, they said, you're not hysterical. You know, it's what's going on as they're doing fingerprints. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, these are just things. And yes, I can pass them down, but more important is telling the stories because that will last. And I think it was then that I said, I've got to, I'm not going to replace this stuff but I'm going to tell the stories of the people who who passed it on to me and that that was the important piece. I didn't think it would be a book. I just started writing and I would really encourage people to do that too. It doesn't have to be a book and it doesn't have to be all words. It could be pictures, but preserving these stories for future generations and, and the process of doing it for yourself is so important. I mean, it was really cathartic for me. I came out of the process a different person than I went into it. Really? So how, what did you, how did you feel once you finished? I felt at peace, kind of liberated by those ghosts. And the ghosts will always be with me, but not in the same way. I put them on paper, I recorded their names, and I felt that uh, we could share our space in a different way. Wow. I feel like... There has been so much pressure on you as the sole survivor on so many sides to keep this alive. Like that must have been, I mean, how do you go about as like a middle schooler and have a great day when, you know, inside you're 
you don't even know what happened to your father and he's, you know, right there. I, or, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to make that work. <laughs> yes. But somehow you do somehow with a mother, like my mother, who was like, okay, it's a new day. Let's get up and get going. Mm-hmm. And this is what we have to do. Somehow you do. And you do it uh, with love and optimism and the support of a lot of people. And again, not to minimize your family's just absolutely tragic experience in the Holocaust, but even now with everybody afraid for their lives in part and this pandemic sweeping the world, all you can do is sort of focus on now, right? I think that's what everybody's coming back to and what is basically what your mother has been saying all along, right? You can All you can do is wake up and live another day the best that you can. There's nothing you can exactly. really do, Right. And, and I hope that my book won't be a book that people look at as a story of tragedy. I hope they'll look at it as a story of strength and of life going on and future, what, what the future might hold and redemption. Hmm. No, and I didn't mean to suggest it was only tragic. It's a, No, I, I didn't suggest you did, but some people do. I mean, they look at it, oh, it's another Holocaust memoir. And that's not what I intended. It's And it's not what I hope will come out of it when people read it. No, it's inspiring. It's really inspiring. It's, I don't know, I I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I I promise that I don't don't say that to everybody. So (laughs) I really mean it. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Now that you've kind of put this, you've wrestled with these ghosts and put them in their place, so to speak, do you find yourself more open to other projects? Like what would you... What would you like to do next? Like, what? Do you, how do you see the next couple of years of your life looking? And what, what's on your to what's on your to do list? I feel much more open about everything since I put myself out there. I mean, I, I, you know, put all of. I really had to deal with all of my vulnerabilities to just get out there and to talk about my past. I never talked about my father's suicide. I didn't talk about it within our family. It really wasn't. Didn't wasn't something my family knew, my husband or my children, hmm. until after Jonathan wrote Everything is Illuminated and people started talking about it. So it's, it's almost like I've gone through several years of analysis, but it was <laughs> self-analysis. And it was just such a great process. So what's next? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out right now. I spent yesterday sorting through old pictures, realizing that I have all these, and I talk about this in the book, all these pictures and I know who these people are, mm-hmm. but my family doesn't necessarily know who they are. You know, I, I'm looking forward to spending time nurturing my grandchildren. Of course, as soon as we get out of this, as soon as I can get out of my house <laughs> and uh, there will be another project. I'm just not sure what it's going to be. Somebody suggested turning this into a, a book for teens, but I'm not sure that's what I'll do. It will be something. Stay tuned. I don't know. I'm open to ideas. <laughs> maybe a movie, maybe a documentary. I mean, you could show all the pictures. I could just see somebody filming you sitting there, you know, showing the pictures of Pesha. I don't know. I just, I feel like you should do that. It would be another way to mark the gravestones in a way. Yes. Yes. That's a good idea. It's a great idea. So do you have any advice to aspiring authors, not only as an author yourself, but as a mother to fantastic authors? <laughs> Well, I, with children, my best advice is praise the good. They all come out different. You're the mother of four. I'm the mother of three. They each come out as their own person. Find what they do well and, and encourage that. And to other writers, just dig in and try it. 
I didn't think I could do this. I didn't think it would be a book, but I had the encouragement of other people and it came together. Yeah, I think you just have to sit down and do it. And I remember when Jonathan, who had been accepted to medical school, you know, every Jewish mother's dream, (laughs) said, you know, I think I want to be a writer. And, you know, really, a doctor or a writer? And my husband and I understood that we had to support him, that we had to believe believe in him and believe in his dream, whether it worked or didn't. And that's what I think you have to do with children. Find what they're great at and support them. And try to close your eyes to the rest of it. (laughs) You know, just one thing in parting, people talk a lot about not just the people, but some of the creative output that has been lost as a result of the Holocaust, the scientific discoveries, the books, the art, all the things that could have been that never got into the world because everybody was murdered. And when I think about your family and just the creativity and interest you and your sons and all that was lost. It just is such a loss, not just for your family, but really all of society to just imagine what, what mm-hmm. could have been. It's just, it's, it's almost difficult to conceptualize the, the magnitude of the loss. So anyway. Right. But what we have to do now is do it and build on the past and move forward. Remember the past, but build the future. Yeah. Keep on. Keep on keeping on. (laughs) Keep on keeping on. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and talking about your book and for taking the time to memorialize these people that you cared about, that you didn't even know, that will really tell the story that is so important for so many people to hear. So thank you on many levels. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Blue Land Cleaning, our sponsor for today's episode. Blue Land Cleaning, get your single-use plastic packaging. Make that a thing of the past with this eco-friendly cleaning products company. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.